0: Chapter Two, Trapped in the Ghetto He rode high in the air on Stasik's broad shoulders. He bent his head low for his mother to pop a juicy berry in his mouth. Her laughter made him laugh, too. The sun was hot, and soon they would all go for a swim. As Stasik let him down, he slipped from the man's big hands. He grabbed Stasik's shirt, but it tore. As he plunged to the ground, he heard his mother scream. Jacob Gutgeld snapped awake, sweating. He shuddered when he remembered where he was. He heard the whispering again. A thin sheet hanging as a curtain between him and his grandmother and aunt muffled no sounds. Hide. Immediately. Trust. Money. Gestapo. Jacob was tired, but his curiosity was too strong to let him sleep. He wished they would make up their minds and do something. Aunt Hannah told him little, but her worried face and red eyes were enough for him to know something terrible was about to happen. Once, Jacob lived in a grand house in Warsaw with his parents and many servants. Stasic, the chauffeur, drove them in their shiny new Buick to visit friends, all the while singing funny songs. Every summer, he drove the Gutgeld family to their lakeside cottage, where they spent a month swimming, boating, and eating wild strawberries. When Jacob was four and a half, his mother died giving birth to his brother David. Jacob remembered little about her, only a soft blue dress and the sweet sad song she sang the day they spent together picking berries. The Nazis had invaded Poland and stolen Jewish homes and businesses, promising the non-Jewish Polish people that once the Jews were gone, the property would be theirs. At the same time, the Germans sent all the Poles who were strong enough into work camps to do forced labor. Jews were ordered to move into ghettos, fenced or walled areas in the city that separated the Jews from the rest of the population. Two years later, in the summer of 1941, Jacob shared one room with his aunt and his grandmother, the only ones left in his family. Other families surrounded the Gutgeld apartment in dirty, broken down, overcrowded rooms like theirs. Day and night, Jacob heard cries and shouts. But the worst sound was the rhythmic click, click of the Nazi soldiers' boots as they passed under his window. Because the Nazis intended to make Poland Judenrein, which means free of Jews, every day they rounded up and arrested people at random in the ghetto. Jacob's younger brothers, five-year-old Shalom and three-year-old David, were sent away to the country. They are too small to keep quiet like you, Aunt Hannah had explained. Jacob's father, grandfather, and uncles had left Poland the year before. It is not safe for Jewish men here, his father had said. Seeing the worried look in Jacob's eyes, he added, Don't worry about these Germans, my son. They are a cultured and sophisticated people, only interested in taking men to work in their factories and on their farms. No civilized country would hurt women and children. The words were meant to be reassuring, but when Aunt Hannah kissed Jacob the night the men left, tears wet his cheek. Jacob didn't mind it when they first moved into the ghetto. In the beginning, the Germans permitted them to have schools, shops, and other ordinary parts of everyday life. But within a year, everything changed. Posters went up forbidding Jews to leave the ghetto. Curfews became more severe. Each day there was less food and there were more arrests. And the Nazis didn't exclude women and children from abuse. Jacob heard the Nazis give speeches telling the Jews that Treblinka, Auschwitz, and Maidenek were farms or factories, that plenty of food existed there, that those who were sent there would receive warm clothing. But everyone knew those places were death camps, places built to kill a large number of people efficiently. The only strong people Jacob saw were the armed soldiers patrolling the ghetto. He felt weak from not enough food. With everyone slowly starving in the ghetto, few tried to fight back, and the Jews knew the Polish people wouldn't help them because they feared for their own lives. Jacob felt trapped and angry that his father had left him. Only those who were sick, starving, or useless to the Germans remained in the ghetto. Money helped, but no one was safe anymore, not even wealthy Jews like the Gutgelds. And besides, their resources were almost gone. Jacob's grandmother gave him little candies from a slowly dwindling supply, but he had no patience during these hard times for her insistence on keeping Jewish laws, such as not being allowed to eat certain foods. That morning, he heard Aunt Hannah arguing with his grandmother. I spent four hours finding this piece of meat, Hannah shouted, waving it in the older woman's face. Jacob's grandmother wrinkled her nose and drew back. I'll go to my sister's if I have to eat pork, she said, turning her face away. Jacob's mouth watered, but his grandmother was adamant. Finally, Hannah left in anger, taking the little piece of ham with her. Jacob muttered, "I hate being Jewish." "What, my baby?" his grandmother asked. Jacob shook his head and scowled. "Nothing, bubby," he cre- he replied. "Look," she said, holding up a dry, dark loaf. "This bread is talking to you. It has an S on it, so S." She laughed at the play on the Yiddish word meaning eat. No, thank you, Jacob replied coldly. I will never be like her, he thought, as he opened The History of the Jews, one of the few books in his grandmother's library that wasn't a prayer book or a Bible. If the Nazis aren't following their laws anymore, why should we? Now the whispering voices grew softer, and Jacob, against his will, fell asleep without a dream to haunt or comfort him. In the morning, he put on the same tattered clothes he wore every day. The usual wormy black bread and pale milky tea waited for him at the table. Eat, Jacob, Aunt Hannah called to him. What were you and Grandma talking about last night? Jacob asked. He searched her eyes but found no answer. She looked away from his steady gaze. She moved the food closer to him, but he didn't touch it. Yonkle, she said, using the name that his mother had called him. It's not safe here anymore. They're beginning to take more and more people every day. She closed her eyes. Jacobs could see she was trying to erase the image from her mind. 500,000 people were crammed into the ghetto. A few, like Jacob's Aunt Hannah, tried to live normally. Pushcart peddlers sold pots, pans, candlesticks, and sometimes scraps of bread. But it was impossible to deny the nightmare outside. German guards stopped everyone for inspection, occasionally slamming a rifle butt against a back to push someone along. Many people, suffering starvation or shocked by the sudden loss of a mother, father, brother, or sister, wandered aimlessly in the streets. Some gave up trying to live and died on the ghetto sidewalks. Aunt Hannah tried to block Jacob's view if a cart on the street rolled by, filled with bodies. If a dead child lay on the sidewalk, she took Jacob's hand and walked quickly by, all the time chattering about nothing. Jacob protected his aunt, too. He never let her know that he had seen death. Jacob thought about all these things while nervously tearing his bread into little pieces. Where will we go, he asked. Do you remember Stasick? Jacob nodded, happy to hear about his old friend. Putting her rough, chapped hands over his, Hannah said. Stasek knows a Polish family. Very nice people, and they want you to live with them. Jacob pulled his hand away. What about you and Bubby? Hannah paused and looked away. Jacob knew the answer. If you're not going, I won't go. It's only for a while, Yonkel. Hannah pleaded. Jacob knew she didn't believe it, but he didn't say anything more. He didn't want to make things any harder than they were. Besides, Aunt Hannah's face gave him no choice. He would miss his relatives, but he knew that going away was his only chance for survival.